Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Melissa Parrish. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Principal Analyst, Brandon Purcell, to discuss solving customer mysteries using research. Welcome, Brandon. Hi, thanks for having me. A quick note before we get started, if you want to hear more from Brandon on this topic, be sure to check out our Data Strategy and Insights event this fall, where he'll be presenting a keynote entitled, Make Confident Decisions in the Age of Uncertainty. To learn more about that event, visit 4.com slash DSI21. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash DSI21. So, I don't think it's a shock to probably anyone listening to this podcast that consumer behavior has probably changed mightily over the course of the last 18 months, 18 months plus. Um, new technologies, landscape, market dynamics changing. What are some of the sort of customer mysteries that businesses and you know insights leaders that you're talking to, Brandon, what are some of the top questions that folks are trying to solve today? Yeah, well, you know, companies that want to truly understand their customers and understand the way that their customer bases are changing, we're, we're faced with real challenges in the last 18 months as people started interacting and behaving and shopping much differently than they ever did before. Um, so it really put a spotlight on the fact that, you know, companies need to understand things like who are my best customers and what does best mean? Does that mean who's most valuable today or who will be most valuable in the future. Um, in terms of those best customers, are, are we retaining them? Are there sub-segments of customers who are leaving us? And why are they leaving? How can we stop them um, from churning? And then how do we acquire more good customers? Um, what are the messages and, and the positioning that will uh, resonate with them most in the market? These are the types of mysteries that if, if you can solve them through analysis, um, you can be quite successful. So let me ask you this, Brandon, if you can, if you can solve them through analysis of what mm. <laughs> that's maybe uh, that, that maybe sounds like a rudimentary question, given that, that you're an analytics person, but uh, it strikes me that many of the things that you're talking about cannot be gleaned from uh, looking at a sheet of paper with a bunch of numbers on it. So how do you, what are, what are we analyzing to answer these questions? Well, you're completely right, Melissa. It turns out that um, customers are humans and not numbers. So you need a very, <laughs> <No> <laughs> you need a very holistic understanding of them. I mean, part of what you're analyzing is, of course, data. And most of the companies that I talk to in my research have spent a lot of, a, a lot of money and time and resources amassing uh, massive amounts of data on their customers. But it turns out that just looking at those ones and zeros to understand customer behavior only gives you a piece of the, the picture of your customers. You can understand the breadth of your customers, but not necessarily the depth. And that's why there is this, this trend that we're seeing where data scientists who are analyzing that, that data, those ones and zeros, are partnering with design researchers, folks who are actually interviewing customers or sitting down with customers and watching them try to complete tasks in ethnographic studies to get a better sense of what's driving these customers, how they feel about their experiences, what they expect to get from these experiences. And so we're seeing this combination of quantitative analysis of data with more qualitative analysis driven by research to really flesh out both the breadth and the depth of customers as human beings. 
And so is that like a newer phenomenon, sort of that the Qualcomm marriage here? It's totally a new phenomenon. I mean, for for many years, these two personas, data scientists and uh, design researchers, or some companies call them UX researchers, have really resided on different teams and and not worked together at all. And unfortunately, that's led to frustration on the parts of, of both of these personas. For one, you know, data scientists are challenged by the fact that oftentimes they deliver analyses or models that don't end up um, getting implemented because you know the results aren't aren't well understood or maybe they're not even well communicated or embedded into a, a workflow in a way that a, a user could um, use to make critical decisions about customers. On the other side, um, what we found with with design researchers is that oftentimes their work is misunderstood or undervalued because it's kind of hard to quantify the overall impact um, of their work, which of course is something data scientists can can help with. Maybe, Brandon, you can talk about if there is an imbalance or, you know, organizations have sort of over pivoted to maybe the quantitative approach, like what does that lead to? Or maybe there is a bit of a blind spot if you've gotten some gains out of kind of going more from a data scientist perspective, I guess. Yeah, well, I'll give you I'll give you an example. You know, I cover customer analytics at Forrester, and kind of the the canonical customer analytics technique I like to think is is churn analysis, where you you take historical data on customers who've who've left you and customers who haven't. You feed it into a supervised machine learning algorithm, and it finds the patterns of of behavior and the attributes that indicate that some customers are more likely to churn than others. So you can predict among your current customers, who's likely to churn. It's incredibly valuable um, when done correctly. But in doing this research, we talked to several different companies who had churn models in place. One in particular was an OTT provider who was faced with a double digit churn rate. And so their data science team built a churn model, predicted which customers were likely to churn and sent them incentives to stay. And the double digit churn rate persisted. And so they said, okay, well, what's what's wrong here? And they had to actually bring in external design researchers to go in, interview customers, get that deeper understanding of customers to understand that actually what they perceived as a churn problem wasn't actually a churn problem at all. It was an engagement problem. Customers who were um, initially um, starting the relationship with the provider weren't engaging and being onboarded correctly. Um, and only with that understanding could they actually start to Um, impact the churn rate. And they actually took that understanding and started to quantify the level of engagement of customers, then use that in their predictive model. And that ended up increasing the accuracy of the predictive model. So this qualitative analysis can actually be looped back into quantitative analysis to make that analysis better. So we understand in theory why, you know, quantitative and and qualitative research coming together and how powerful that that could be but provide us an example of of that value and that in that power in a you know with a client yeah sure so as part of this research we talked to Talon Wadsworth who's a principal designer at, at Adobe XD and he is fortunate enough to have on his team um, data scientists analysts and design researchers um, and he gave us an example of why this works so well. So a few, year, a few years ago, um, they introduced a new functionality into the Adobe XD tool called uh, prototyping. And they were very excited about it um, and excited to see how, how users ended up um, actually using it. 
And they did some their data science team did some behavioral analysis and found that nobody was actually using this new prototyping functionality. It was it was a digital ghost town, um, and they were confused because certainly their their users who are designers would find this prototyping functionality useful. So they had to dig a little deeper, and they ended up um, going to their design research folks and who interviewed users and found that the problem actually wasn't with the functionality at all. It was the name. Um, their users didn't use the term prototyping to refer to what they did. They actually just called it designing screens. So what the team ended up doing is they took this insight and instead of, instead of taking this functionality and making people go to a, a foreign part of the experience um, with a name that they didn't understand, they interspersed it throughout the existing Adobe XD experience. And sure enough, um, people started using it and, um, and you know, it was incredibly beneficial functionality to them. But without combining, you know, quantitative analysis of the use of this functionality or the lack of use of it with qualitative analysis of why people weren't showing up, Adobe XD never could have uh, rectified this problem. I would love to go back to this uh, tension that you mentioned, Brandon, between sort of the qualitative and the, the quantitative sides and how they used to be pretty siloed um, and still are for the most part. Actually, I should ask you if it's fair to assume that many companies uh, automatically invest more in the quantitative side. I'm sort of assuming that's the case because when you invest in the quantitative side, you have numbers and numbers go go in decks and decks get presented uh, and it's all very neat and clean. Um, if that's the case, I'm wondering just how underfunded the qualitative side has been um, and what the what the balance between those two, just in terms of like the, the proportions of budgets might look like. Yeah. Well, I unfortunately don't have a, a quantitative answer to, to this, but um, in doing my research, I just I, I think of one of the interviews that we did with um, with the uh, the folks at Adobe XD and um, Talon Wadsworth, who's the principal designer on the Adobe XD team, um, told us that in his experience, design and design research in particular is criminally underfunded. Um, and that seems to be the case across most of the companies we talk to. Um, you know, there have there has been um, a real surge in investment in analytical talent and technology um, to glean insights into all of the data that co that companies are capturing um, with. Um, research, oftentimes you're actually, you have to go out and create new data for lack of a better word, because you're doing additional research and you're bringing in qualitative data. Um, and so that becomes a tougher sell because it's, you know, an, an additional expense. Um, but the companies who are investing in that are finding that it's worth it um, because it helps them to um, better understand their customers. You had mentioned that these are, you know, teams are generally kind of separate or siloed. Like, mm -hmm. why is that? Why would that be? Is it just because they're such distinct skill sets or? Yeah, they are very distinct skill sets and um, also with distinct educational backgrounds. Um, one of the things we found in doing the research is that these these folks, designers and design researchers and folks who, you know, have some sort of PhD or master's in machine learning and data science, like they they come from very different um, 
academic backgrounds. And the chances are that is that they wouldn't have interacted otherwise previous to their to their job. It's not like a CFO and a CMO, for instance, who probably went to went, who may have gone to the same business school. Um, these are very different, very um, uh, specialized um, practice areas. And so they have a different way of working. Um, they have a different lexicon that they use. So oftentimes there are problems um, just with communication. Um, and, you know, in some cases, they don't really value what the other is doing. Um, now, in the companies that have ad- addressed this problem and brought these, these folks together, um, fortunately, they've seen real gains in not just like the two having more empathy for what the other one is doing and starting to see the value, but actually starting to speak the same language of and pick up some of the, um, the best practices. So data scientists learning to um, better, you know, use research and researchers um, understanding the analytical underpinnings of, of data science better as well. So I think you've just alluded to something that's really crucial, and it comes up all the time um, in this podcast and also just sort of in our research, where I think uh, a natural inclination for a lot of leaders across an organization is that when you have a problem like this, where uh, two functions come from vastly different backgrounds and they don't have occasion to talk to each other, the solution seems to be something with the org chart. Mm-hmm. Well, we should bring these these two teams together in a single team with a single owner and a, a single set of goals and a single executive sponsor. Um, we know that there are places where that works. We know that there are places where that doesn't work. Have you spoken with companies that have gone that route? Does it seem like the the right way to go? Or is it more about this learning skills from each other and sharing to so that everybody gets better at the thing that they're responsible for? Yeah, it's a great question. We've we've started to see org structures change to accommodate this. Um, you know, one of the I'd say most forward-thinking companies that we uh, interviewed in this research is Spotify, where the data science team and the design the design researchers they all sit on the same team and are aligned with certain products. Um, and speaking to one of their their chief data scientists, he said that on any project that is going to have a deep impact on the customer experience, any type of new feature or functionality, for instance, in the Spotify experience. Um, the, the data scientists and design researchers will partner. Um, so um, data scientists will be doing kind of like the measurement and overall data wrangling about that experience. Design researchers, of course, will be designing the experience and talking to customers about that experience and, and uh, better understanding it. Um, but he also went on to say that that doesn't work for every project. There are some projects that only design researchers can handle and some projects like you know, building an ETL pipeline for data analysis that where you don't really need a data, uh, design researcher and, and a d- data scientist would uh, would own that um, uniquely. So, Brandon, with um, with folks that come from these different backgrounds and they're trying to figure out how to work together in some projects, they can partner and some they don't. You also mentioned that they have very different lexicons. I'm wondering if there is a mechanism by which these two very different teams can come together more seamlessly. Is there a tool that companies can look at to help facilitate these sorts of collaborations or something? So yes, Melissa, I'm glad you asked. Actually, um, we recently published Forrester's Periodic Table of Insights, which lists out 20 different analytical techniques that companies can use to glean insights from their data. And you know, before I said that design researchers and data scientists use a a lot of different techniques. But the truth is that in many cases, 
They use similar techniques, just on different types of data. Both design research and data scientists, for, for instance, are aggregating or comparing data, um, or they're doing testing. Um, or even in some cases, they're both doing clustering analysis, finding groups of, of different types of customers within data. So given the fact that there is this similarity and some overlap in what they do, they could actually use this periodic table of insights as kind of a, a Rosetta Stone um, to ensure that they're both speaking the same language to find where they're um, they're overlapping or there's complementary work going on. And then also to find gaps, um, places where they could maybe use different or new analytical techniques to try to derive new types of, of deeper and richer insights from their customer, customer data and customer research. So if I'm a leader and sort of understanding that the, in theory, the, the value of bringing quantitative and qualitative research together, but historically I've only had really resources on, on the quant side, what does that look like? How am I building the case to kind of get more qualitative research is that, you know, a business case? Is that doing a little testing with some third-party vendors and then trying to bring that capability in-house? Like, what does that look like? Well, one thing I'll say about third-party vendors is the, um, the space that's really embraced this is the customer analytics service provider space. So I just, just finished a wave on um, vendors who've managed to really amass armies of, of data science talent. Um, and what was amazing to me about this, this is the, the third time I've done this wave, is that in addition to these data scientists, now almost all of these providers have staffed these design researchers on the same team because they realize the criticality of having this additional persona to better understand um, customers. And so, yes, I think a good way to go about this would be to partner with one of these vendors on a critical use case where you have to understand both the breadth and depth of the customer experience um, to learn you know, a way of working in which you, um, you partner these two different personas. If you're going to do this fully internally, if you don't have the budget to do that, that's fine. I would say make a list of your current or your most pressing customer understanding objectives. Identify what the KPIs are by which you'd measure the success of different projects that attain those objectives. And then identify which ones of those would benefit the most from a partnership between data science and design research. So Brandon, I have one last question for you. We were just talking a little bit about what leaders should do to try to get budget and make this a bigger um, a, a bigger initiative, but I'm wondering about what the individual data scientist does or the design researcher. So if I am one of these folks who works on one of these teams and I'm listening to you and I think, he's so right, we got to change this. What do I do next uh, to try to get my organization to bring quant and qual together? Yeah, well, actually, that's this is what's happening most frequently. I mean, it's great if you have executive buy-in and you know leaders find budget for this, but more often than not, it is individual contributors who are faced with a pressing customer customer understanding problem, um, and they are turning to their counterparts in data science or design research um, to answer those questions. So, what I would say is, first, you have to identify. Um, those counterparts. And um, what I found is that some of them are very willing 
um, to partner with this other role because they understand the value of it. And also they want um, to get, you know, some sense of uh, understanding of what this role does. Um, but then there are others who, who are not. So, you know, at Forrester, in, in many cases, we often say work with the willing. That, that certainly applies here. Um, and also, I would say, um, make sure that you quantify the value of this work. I mentioned that churn modeling example before. I mean, in that case, the um, predictive accuracy of that model increased 15% by incorporating these, these variables derived from quantitative research. That type of quantification is the thing that you can then trumpet, take to the executive team who can then make the case for additional budget in formalizing this partnership. Excellent. Thank you so much, Brandon, for joining us. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.